Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Hi, welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. How is everybody doing today? I hope phenomenal. I hope great. Hi, Zay. Hello, hello, hello. Today, we're going to continue our... So you want to play D&D series, we're going through the classes and talking about them a little bit, and this will be our second time doing clerics. Reminder, if you're listening to this on podcast form, so the people that are here live right now, live right now, this is not for you, but a reminder maybe you have that uh, if you go through the links of the podcast, you're going to see that there's links that I have for this series. And no one's paying me to do this. These are just references that I've seen over time. So the first link that I have links you to the free basic rules of D&D. If you're new to this game, it's a smaller chunk of the rules overall. And I recommend starting there um, to create your first character, go through a little bit to learn a little bit about this game. You don't need all the information to start. It gives you the basics and it helps you get started. It's put out from Wizards of the Coast, or Watsi as we call it, so you're not stealing anything if you're ever worried about that. Second is also from Watsi. It's the basic character sheet forms for D&D. You can download them and either print them off or have digital copies for yourself. These are items that you can use as you learn to play the game. You're going to need these. Uh, to start playing this game, I recommend that you... Start making characters. You don't actually have to roll the dice to see everything that's available to you. If you get your hands on a player's handbook, that's great. Borrow it from a friend. I never recommend just grabbing it. I understand corporation, all this other stuff. Everybody's anti-corporation. But these people got paid to do this. So you make your own decisions in life. I'm giving you the free stuff. The third link is for a book of creating or flushing out characters. And I highly recommend it. And use it. Because you could use it in little chunks or big chunks. You can really flush something out or you can flush something out small. It is a great book. Recommended from an author, a friend of mine, who does world creations. So, Fourth link is really well-made templates for spells that you can easily use for your area effects if you're using minis. You don't need to spend any money to try out Dungeons & Dragons. Like I said, the free rules, the free sheets, everything's there for you to try. You just need a few friends or even a local game shop that has games that you can join so that you can enjoy the game. Also remember, we talk about the official release uh, information from Wizards of the Coast here. Uh, so if I miss something that's in print, I want to know about it. Please send me the information, email me, whatever it takes. But er Unearth Arcanas, Internet Homebrews, the things that are not published are not what I talk about, so keep that in mind when you when you ask me about them. If you have a direct question, I don't mind looking things up. It's something that I actually love to do, is to look out new things or what people enjoy to play. There is no right or wrong way to play Dungeons & Dragons. So now that we have all that set, give you my regular disclaimer that even though this is a NerdWorks production, I, Doc, do not speak on behalf of NerdWorks, nor do I speak on Wizards of the Coast or any Dungeons & Dragons. I have friends in the industry, I've been playing for a long time, and I know quite a bit about a lot of tabletops. 
Dungeons and Dragons is the one we're talking about because that's the most popular. I did forget to do one thing from the series, which we'll get into, but Dungeons and Dragons being popular does not mean it's the best. It doesn't mean it's the worst. You're going to hear people talking about this, and I've seen a lot of this lately on social media. People are talking about all these other games. They claim the bad things. No tabletop is better than another, and I've said this before. There are many different games that you can play. I love Fate games, probably one of my favorite, and that's because very low dice rolls and a lot of role-playing move that game along. However, if that's not your thing, you want more combat, you want more danger, of course Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, these things are good. If you want something that's high combat, high rules, not, that's a bad thing, has rules to drive the game but is a way more role-playing, uh, World of Darkness, Vampire the Masquerade in its 5th edition. If you're looking for something more puzzly, like Clue as a board game, or Clue meets D&D kind of thing, Call of Cthulhu is an amazing game. I enjoy it every time I play. I think it's wonderfully done. And you can roleplay really well in that. And it's a little goofy in that. If you want to find a game that doesn't use dice and want a little bit of horror, download Dread. It's no longer in print, but they keep it up on PDF form so everybody can download it to use it. And it uses a Jenga table or a Jenga tower to play, even in character creation. We are talking about clerics. This is the second phase of it. But we're going to go back a little bit because, again, I jumped into the series and it, it, there were things that I meant to do. And I'm going to correct them right now. To start, I want to talk about what every cleric has before you get to the subclasses. I think I skipped that. I'm not sure, so let's just go ahead and get out of the way. All clerics in D&D can use up to medium armor. Some domains will give you more, but all clerics can use shield, light armor, and medium armor. All clerics can use all simple weapons. Again, domains may add to this. Uh, but this is true for all clerics. You get a chance to use that. Clerics, as divine casters, can change spells after a long rest. You do not get stuck with spells except your domain spells. And you don't have to worry about... As long as you know kind of what your plan is for the day, you can try to adapt and keep some in there. I will talk more about spells later. We covered them early on, but we did not get to them really in depth. And I want to do that a little bit more. All you need to do is spend one minute per spell level to change your spells. It's usually, in the book, it talks about praying to your god to do that, but it is it can be meditation. A little hint to you players out there to give you a little bit of role play, or even if you want to add a little bit of mystery to your clerics. Not a lot of people do this in-game. It's very interesting. I would love somebody at my table to do that when they do that. Channel divinity across the board. All clerics get channel divinity. And all clerics have turn undead as their channel ability. So as you level, your domain will give you more options for channel divinity. They won't give you more channel divinities as far as I can remember. But they give you access to other options. Channel divinity itself, as it goes up, and turn undead channel divinity, has other things that happen. But basically what happens, as an idea, you hold out your holy symbol and you pray. All clerics have links to the positive energy plane, and that is where their, their energy, their prayers, all this energy comes from. And that helps us if we remember that in our role playing. So as you pull out your holy symbol and you pray, a burst of positive energy comes out, and in turn undead, the undead have to have a save against that. If they fail their save, they have to run away. That's because their 
fueled by negative energy, and negative and positives don't mix really well. It pulses, is the best way to say that, I think. And then the, the undead, again, uh, respond to that. The turn undead at fifth level becomes destroy undead. This has the exact same effect, except if they're a certain CR level, depending on your level, and it starts off with, I believe, CR one half or below, and you do that and they fail, they just get destroyed. They go away instantly. And these are great little crowd divergence, but they're also really, depending on how you're playing your character, really good role-playing moments. Use that to your advantage with these. At 10th level, you can employ your deity to give you assistance. Literally one of the hardest roles in Dungeons & Dragons because it's not about how high, it's about how low you roll. So you roll a percentile set of dice, and if the percentile is your cleric level or lower, you get to do whatever it was that you rolled, and... And, and your god assists you. Now, this is always up to the DM. The DM makes a decision. But it's always an assistance, whether it's like a, another spell that can come forth from you that your deity would grant upon you for that moment that you would need. Other things. It's all up to the DM on how it works. You can roll this every day. You could try every single day. After a long rest, you could try again. But the minute you succeed... You can't use it for seven days. At 20th level, you don't even have to roll. It just automatically happens. That's what all clerics have. It's amazing on the diversity of clerics and what you can play and the role-playing aspect of clerics in and of itself. All these clerics have this at their disposal. Even the death domain and the DMG, which was made to be an evil character, has access to this. If you want to be a little bit reversed, uh, maybe against living, stuff like that, talk to your GM, DM, storyteller, whatever you call them, and and work on it. I don't see a reason why I wouldn't make it negative energy and make it in there. As I speak about positive and negative energy and the mechanics of a cleric, and how you can use that in your game for you role-playing or even switching things, this is why I talk about knowing the history and mythology that has in D&D. You don't have to accept it all. I know there's a lot of controversy behind a lot of it, and, and I don't even want to get into it. I think I've spoke my mind on it many times. I want to get back into clerics, but this is a reason why you should know all these. Next, I just want to give you a little bit about what the domain would look like. For the few, first few that we get out of the way, we'll just hit them really quick. I think the four from last time that we did were Arcana, Death, Forge, and Grave. So when we think about Arcana domain... Those serve and worship gods of magic or magic in general. But if you're not sure what that might look like, I personally would make a cleric that looks more like um, the Thaumer in, in Skyrim. And I'm talking visually. It doesn't have to be an elf. But that kind of look, right? The armor can be whatever we want it to be. It doesn't have to be what the book is. And if our DM declares it has to be what the book is, we can take little aspects of that. And nobody cares about look when it comes down to it, it's all about mechanics. And as long as we're not changing that, we're doing great. They have respect for wizards and sorcerers. And remember, they can wear up to medium armor right off the bat anyways. And so what do we want that to look like? If it looks like that, it could still be medium armor. It could be some kind of make of any light or medium, depending on what we want to use. All in all, a cleric for magic users and even maybe even magic shops, owners would come to them. Their holy book looks a little thicker than a published prayer book would. In my head, that's how I would play it. If anyone was to look or some could even watch them when they do 
prayers. They have a special incant- incantation, incantation that reads part of their spell book. Their prayer book, excuse me. They know a secret of old magic that should not be taught and even chronicles its function, its downfall of the world, or even what it would affect the multiverse. And that cleric, the cleric I am playing, that's the one that would be trusted to guard this information. Even others of their own order don't even know this information. This is how I would propose playing an arcane, or a a cleric arcana. Death cleric? Depending on how you want to play it, let's go full goth with this, right? Painting the nails, doing the makeup, the stoic, seems emotionless all the time always has something downtrodden to say you don't have to go full angsty in the death cleric but the death cleric has this connection to death they understand it better than anybody else would long ago they decided to serve the god of death and destruction death or destruction or however your world is set up they claim that chaos is the only fairness keep these in mind these are little things that i would do they're there for the party. They're not against the party. They want the party to be happy. They want to do things. They want to be there. And, and they would even try to save the world because the end of the world means the end of chaos and the end of death. I would make mine a little bit older, more lived than others in the party. They take all their upgrades to a blacksmith or enchanter, change the colors to dark and somber, talk to your DM about this. I would allow it in my games, but again, as I've always said, every table is different. I'm just one DM in this great big world. And though I think they would wield even a sun sword without changing it, because they're not just death, but they see themselves as the balance of the universe. And and that's if I was playing with a party and not doing the full-on evil death that comes out of the DMG. Forge? Forge is a blacksmith, 100%. Some kind of blacksmith to the core. Their armor looks well worked on. Because it is, they work on it any chance that they get. Remember, the Forge cleric and what they represent, they, they're, I described it as the spiritual working of a forge. So they'll work on anything that the party wants, or even others, NPCs that bring stuff to them. I don't see them going to a church. I see the forge, their religious experience as their church. They may even preach while they do it, which would be great if you could RP that. They feel closer to the gods when working on metal, and even see prayers and vision, real or not, it doesn't matter, working at the forge. They may even need to be dragged away to rest, almost addictive, somebody on TikTok at 3 a.m. who knows they shouldn't be taken away from them. That's how I would do a forge cleric. I'm just trying to get creative juices running. My grave cleric would be more humble. They know that their gods have given them the power to judge others worthy of life or death. Think about that. Even where other clerics need to be praying over and touching them, the way the the grave cleric works with the reach and save thought process, I don't even see it as a prayer. I just see it as reaching out and just yelling the words, not today, and that echoing and having some kind of reverence to it. And they save their dying comrade. They speak with authority when they heal. They seem to command death. But then again, remember, even though they seem to command death, keep that character humble and claim just to be like every other cleric when you play the grave cleric. I think you have a really good time role-playing it. We paused before we did Knowledge Cleric because we didn't have a lot of time. We ran out of time because clerics have so many different domains. This is probably the most we've ever done. And I just want to give you the list again for those that missed it last week. Arcana, Death, Forge, Grave, Knowledge, Life, Light, Nature, Order, Peace, Tempest, Trickery... (sighs) 
Twilight and War. These are the domains that are printed. And these don't even include homebrew domains or what other people come up, which again is not against anything. I'm just talking about the printed stuff. So let's jump into this. Our knowledge cleric. I read through this and I think philanthropist or archaeologist in that they study people now or they study people in the past. They're searching for knowledge. These are the big thing about knowledge clerics, right? Now we know what all the clerics get, but here's what this one is going to give you availability to. So right off the bat, you get two more languages. And this can be fun if if you guard your praises and blessings uh, or blessing those that find secrets and guard them, right? So the guardians of secrets or the, the, the searching out or finding secrets, these are the people that we bless. And if we think about that, how ancient are we talking, then we might be able to take a language and use it more for RP than some kind of min-max for the game. And either way is fine. I'm always about role-playing. That's what you're going to get with Doc Talks. I talk. It's not that I don't know the rules. It's not that I don't know how the mechanics work. It's just that I focus more on role-play with my mechanic. You get to choose two extra skills as well. But you have to choose them from either Arcana, History, Nature, or Religion. I laugh at the Arcana one because I played a Nature Cleric once with an Arcana Cleric in the party as well and i kind of put it as showing the arcana cleric a thing or two like they didn't know what they were talking about the cool part about picking two from this with this feature with the knowledge cleric is you also get to double your proficiencies for those right it makes it really interesting this allows you to understand knowledge and you can play it however you want the last time somebody played knowledge cleric in one of my tables it was somebody who wanted to be part of um they described it as following mora i can't remember the whole name from skyrim i found it interesting i liked it but that searching for knowledge was almost overloading them at all times i guess is the best way to put it let's go through the 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 domain spells because you know that's another functionality these are the spells that you get you can't change them you get them but they don't count against your other spells at first level, you're going to get the command and identify. I'll be honest with you, when it comes to knowledge, I don't understand command unless it's when you face a guardian that's protecting knowledge or you want to know something. Identify, I 100% get. Obviously, when you find something, you want to know what it does. There's augury and, and suggestion, and, and I notice a lot of control spells, but it is what it is. Non-detection and speak with the dead. Again, that searching of ancient knowledge comes into my mind. And you can't let anybody follow you while you're searching for it. Uh, arcane Eye because reasons. I'm just kidding. I love Arcane Eye. It's one of my favorites because Arcane Eye allows you to scout or look or see without actually putting yourself in any danger or your character, excuse me, in any danger. And of course, confusion. Can't catch you if they don't know what really happened. I like it. And of course, Legend Lore, which is one of the greatest spells in D&D, and I wish people would use it more, but that's a role-playing thought process for me. And Scrying. Keep digging until you find the truth, right? Keep going. Figure it out. These are all really cool spells, and they do make sense depending on how you're playing or what kind of knowledge cleric or area that you're playing in, the land, your, your DM, where you are. Your channel divinity option is Knowledge of the Ages. If you're looking for something for combat, this is not the one you want. If you're looking for something for roleplay or helpful or really want to get into this archaeologist looking for something, the cleric of knowledge is great. And this divin channel divinity uh, option, 
it allows you to be proficient in a skill or tool if you're not proficient at it for 10 minutes. Basically, you use the tool that you need to figure out or do whatever it is to do. I wouldn't be stingy on that if something needs to happen and you could fill a gap in your party. Clerics are more support, at least stereotypically, but you do not have to play them that way. At 6th level, for your channel divinity, you get read thoughts, access the minds of others, make them tell you what you need to know, seek the truth. Potent spellcasting, it, it doesn't do a lot, but it helps you in battle because it allows you to add wisdom to damage. Done from, I believe, cantrips. It might be more, I'm not sure, which is awesome. But again, not following the RP talk that I'm doing here, but it really does help you be a little bit more potent and worthwhile. And then, of course, as you go on, visions of the past, see the history unaltered of what you're studying or your immediate surroundings. Wouldn't it be neat to have a spell to look at history and just see the truth of history? Not written down, not passed down, not talked about from the person who lost or the person that won, but the legitimate, real history. This cleric is awesome. Nothing will keep this cleric from the truth. And now that I say this out loud, they can be kind of scary, right? I wonder if this is the kind and warm cleric. But when they hit a barrier, they become scary and intimidating. All the different clerics and domains. Cleric, I think it's a bad rap, right? It, we, we have this thing that clerics heal. And why? It comes basically from video games or old D&D. It's kind of what they were. They were a healer. And, and there's nothing wrong with that stereotype. But I think that we've come so far that clerics can be anything. One of the first clerics I ever played when D&D 5e came out was the War Cleric because it looked awesome to me. And at level 18, I had an amazing time playing that and even took on a CR 21 on my own and used healing on myself to stay up and win that battle. And the dice were with me on that one. So I can't blame it on that, but it was a lot of fun to play. All right, let's talk Life Clerics. Since we're talking about stereotypical clerics, let's get into the life cleric. This guy is way more badass than just healing. First off, you get heavy armor. If that doesn't tell you to be in the middle of battle, I don't know what does. Most healing clerics need to get up and touch to heal. And with this one, very much so, you're not a grave cleric. This cleric believes in life, right? So the energy that the positive energy plane gives off, if we remember that, we heal the sick, we heal the wounded with this class. That is their main thought and focus. But they will fight adamantly against any undead. You push the forces of death and undeath back. And if you're playing this char character, I truly hope that your party doubles down. There's enough people to have a barter creation in this party as well because the RP between those two would be amazing with enough knowledge. Because of your devotion to life, the life cleric allows you to give a little extra in your healing from your positive energy. You're better at it. And so mechanically, it gives us plus two to healing. And a lot of people will tell me, hey, plus two, that's not a lot. Well, you're right. But as I've said a million times, playing all these tabletop games, as long as I have, a lot more times than not, it comes down to one or two hit points than anything else in the big major battles, right? A little less in 5e, I notice it's a little bit easier, and, and that's not a shot at 5e. I think it makes it streamlined, makes the story go easier. You don't have to stop and pause a game to look up 
the math and pull out the scientific calculator to figure out what everything's doing for you. But it's awesome to have that little bit more healing. And that's right off the bat. Preserve Life is your channel divinity. I've used this in a recent campaign. I'm playing a, believe it or not, multi-class cleric and paladin. And I love it so much. So our Preserve Life gives us five times our cleric level and HP to divide amongst anybody that we want to. The caveat is you can't bring them above half their hit points. This is great to keep a fight going if things are not going well. And again, that little bit just pushes so hard and can make or break a fight. Blessed Healer. I call it Sniper Healer. I don't know why. And it's because you have so much healing coming out that you get some recoil healing coming back at you. And mechanically, what does that mean? When I heal somebody else... I also heal myself for two plus the spell level that I used. That doesn't work with my channel divinity. It does have to be a spell. That's the caveat to that. But let's be honest, that's what we do. Divine Strike, because why not? Because it's not only just a paladin thing. Once each turn, a life cleric puts more positive energy into their strike and does an extra 1d8 radiant damage because you want to preserve life. Radiant kills undead and it... It really is kind of neat, and depending on how you play it and what you use it for, can be an amazing thing. If you make it to the end, right, and we talk about this all the time, I mean, how many games actually go past 12 or even 14th level, but I would even say 12 is really hard for people to get through. Supreme healing, though, is just max healing. You know life, you're the mom now, and I mean that mom, right? So you want to heal and take care of your people, but you also go back crazy on somebody else if you need to. I brought you into this world. I could take you out of it kind of thought process. But that max healing at those levels really helps out. No more toss of the dice. No more worrying about rolling ones on your dice when you get up in level. It's wonderfully amazing. This is the caregiver of the group. This is the person in the group. This is the same person that will go crazy when they see an undead. Even more so if someone is threatening one of the people that they consider to be their friends. And I also see it as somebody who, like, if their friend started it, they may actually heal the other person to help them teach your friend a lesson. I feel like they're that friend, the one that just wants to get things across. Life clerics are stereotypical clerics, but they do not need to be played stereotypically. All clerics have martial abilities it's not a lot it's not playing a rogue it's not playing a barbarian it's not getting all this extra damage but there's a lot to say in 1d8 plus strength level damage hits everything may come down to a point or two it's also important for you to know every avenue that you have a lot of people hit walls when they play certain classes because they think it's only there for the one thing but if you've watched anybody play a higher level cleric, and even if they do it as a sweet, humble person, when that cleric wants to do bad things, they have access to bad thing spells. <laughs> and they can make life terrible for somebody. Clerics are an amazing part of a, part of a party, and it doesn't matter what kind of cleric you're playing. So far, we've covered today the knowledge and life clerics. But before, we covered um, you know, our original cleric classes which were 
trying to find this arcana death forge grave now we have knowledge and we have life out of these six that we're talking about they are so different arcana has access to spells worships magic magic shop owners see them as people that they would go to for prayer for worship for guidance and and dms gms storytellers please go out of your way to do this have a little leeway when you're doing these things with your characters or with your players I, I say it a million times, but I'll say it again. When your players build their characters, build their characters with them. Get an idea of what they're doing with their characters. You don't have to do it with everybody at the table. But you really do at least need a one-on-one. -on -one. Not only to immerse them into the world, but so that you don't get surprised by something. Or if something didn't make sense, you have a chance to talk about it when the group's not around. It's a little bit better. If, if, if what we put as a boundary or a limit in our games is not being broken but a conversation needs to happen well that needs to be a little bit more private we don't want to embarrass anybody but our options that we give we can't if we're going to say no we have to say no but here's another idea we need to allow them to try to get as close to what they need to or want to play to have fun we also have to stop them from going full god mode sometimes i know i've had to do that too but your arcana cleric with that gives a little bit to the party the death cleric is about killing you could take healing spells with death clerics but it's really more about the destruction era your forge cleric is more like a blacksmith cleric right and 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 they have more avenues that aren't healy to them the grave cleric i like the idea of that cleric so i'm very happy they brought that out of that idea of being commanding of somebody who is dying and, and it's not so much the healing as we talked about when we talked about grave clerics the healing comes from them being low it's about that control friendship it really brings an avenue to that there's one question a lot of people forget to ask when they play these games and and you see it when like a character dies and a new character has to be introduced and the joke at my personal table here in seattle is the, hey, you look trustworthy, why don't you join us kind of thought process. And you don't have to, but you do need to ask, why is your character with these characters? And for some of us that are playing as a war strategy game with less role-playing, you don't need to ask that question. Because it's just a game, war strategy, you're there for the strategy and the fights, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're like me and you're playing with a little bit more role-playing, well, why is our characters together, especially if our characters clash? And there's no really big reason. It's a question that needs to be asked from time to time. And as a DM, GM, or even storyteller, no matter what you call yourself, every now and then you've got to sit down and you need to ask the questions that need to be asked. And you need to say, why are you together? How are you feeling? How do you like your character so far? What would you change? I have a rule at my table, and I usually start everybody at level one. And that's because there's some buildup and there's friendships that get built. But at level one, the game's getting moving along you're learning a little bit about and if you've never played that character type before it gives you little chunks at a time for you to use and then if you don't like it when you hit level five and level five is my cutoff right before level five if you're level four or you're about to go to five and you'd come to me and you're like i, I want to change my class i'm not really happy with it or whatever you could change anything in my table at level five we'll do this once and it's because i don't want to be disruptive in the game a good DMGM storyteller or even a good story out of the storybooks, they have certain items that everybody needs. 
certain items that may be what you need at the end to defeat whatever the evil or whatever you're fighting against is. Or the DM may have entered stuff specifically for your character. My table, again, the rule is at level 4, before you go to 5, just talk to me. We'll do one change. We'll make that work before we get growing. I'm a long-term DM. I don't do a lot of one-shots. They're not my thing. I like big, grandiose stories. I like smaller chunks leading up to it. I like to watch the build and the character changes and the character developments. You don't get that off of one-shots as much. But since we have to know why our characters are together, we have to build that into there. What is it that keeps everybody going together as a party in role-playing? We're going to start off with the Light Cleric next time. I'm going to try to get through three. I only got through two, but I knew I was only going to get through two because there's that chunk of Cleric at the beginning I wanted to talk about. Clerics are amazing. They're not just healers. They're not stereotypical unless you want them to be stereotypical. They can be anything you want. I played a Life Cleric one time who was a non-armor-wearing priest that abhorred violence. Did not personally. Took a vow to never fight. There was reasons behind that. Maybe I'll make a TikTok on that. But it is that my point is that you can do anything that you want to, and especially when it comes to clerics. To everybody out there, just remember, we are playing a game together, and everybody at the table has got to have fun. Not just certain people, everybody. So keep your tables clean, non-toxic. Remember always that I love you. Keep it nerdy. And live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production.